You would please open your Bibles to 2 John. It's almost at the end. Not quite. Almost. <clears throat> Second John. Before we read from God's holy and inerrant word, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our own language, that many have worked on our behalf so that we could see you in your word. I pray that you would guide us as we delve into Second John this morning. I pray that you would change our hearts. Father, your word tells us that truth is offensive and that the world does not want to hear what truth is. Father, I pray that you would bless us this morning, and I pray that the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, I've done all the communicating. I've done all the work and the practice. We are going to kick off a sermon series this morning in 2 John. Though take heart, this is also the last message in the series of 2 John. Let's go to the text. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. I do enjoy that big Bible. Yes, Second John is a short epistle. At just about 245 words, it is one of the shorter books in the Bible. One commentator calls this a postcard epistle. Now, I'm, I'm assuming most of you know what a postcard is, right? We don't really use them a lot anymore, but a postcard is small. You can only put a little bit of writing on there. And so John's readers would be reading this epistle, and it was very short. This letter was very short. But it didn't have to be short. The reason it's short is because its message is simple, and his readers understood that. Now, just because this epistle is very short at 13 verses, don't think you will be shortchanged on your sermon length. I guarantee you, you'll get your money's worth. As I contemplated 2 John, I thought to my study on Proverbs, a drastically longer book. When we read Proverbs, 
the most important thing we must do is understand how we see Christ in the Proverbs, right? When we read a chapter of Proverbs, we think, how does this point us to Christ? If we read Proverbs and we don't do this, we risk descending into moralism, right? If I do the good stuff and I don't do the bad stuff, then I will get to heaven. That's not how it works, right? When we study 2 John and we think about the Proverbs, we're drawn to think how we are to live in light of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. I do not follow God's commands in hopes that he will save me because I'm good, I follow God's commands because he has saved me. I do so not to earn my place, but because my place has been earned by Christ on my behalf. Amen. The theme of this message today is the truth of God's word is near to you. We will see this theme in three ways. Know the truth, walk in truth, and abide in truth. If you are a note taker, I'll repeat those for you again. Number one, know the truth, walk in truth, and abide in truth. So let's dive into the first part of the epistle this morning. We'll look at knowing the truth. Verses 1 through 3. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us, we will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Now, there are many elements to the New Testament epistles that we do not know. For example, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. We don't know where Paul was when he wrote his letter to the Philippians. Why does John call himself the elder? We don't know. Let me tell you what we do know. We know who the elect lady is. And we know who her children are. The elect lady is the church, and her children are the people of God. Now, Reformed Christians, we understand this word elect. We know what this means. Elect, chosen, set apart. Through God's divine election, we are set apart. We are chosen from before the foundations of the earth. Know the truth. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Truth does not change. Didn't think we'd park on this fifth word in the epistle this morning, but we're going to park here for a little bit. Why must we park here? Because the world hates truth. The world does not want to hear truth. God, before all time, all space, all creation, has elected his church. In Genesis 1, when he's laying the foundations of the earth and he's creating everything in the earth and in it, the the birds and the land and the sea, he had already laid the foundations for his church. Now, why does the world hate the doctrine of election? Why do some Christians get really upset when we mention words like election and predestination? I tell you, nothing upsets a non-denominational evangelical gathering more than saying the word predestination and lobbing that grenade into the conversation. Here's the truth. Our sin wants us to deny the doctrine of election and predestination because if we deny these doctrines, we deny that God is truly God. The enemy would love nothing more than to sow seeds of doubt and discord regarding the sovereignty of God. 
Now, if there was such a doctrine of election and predestination, where would we find such a doctrine? Well, we find it in God's holy and inerrant inspired word. Romans 9, starting in verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good, bad, nothing good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Know the truth. God does not look down some river of time and see that you're going to be a good person, so he decides to save you. God does not look down the river of time and see that you're going to do many good deeds, so he sends Christ to save you. No. God, in his infinite mercy and grace, decides to save you, and thus you have no choice but to give your life to Christ. Also, time is not a river. Now, some will say, but wait, hold on, wait a second. What about our free will? What about our free will in Christ? We have free will in Christ. Yes, you do. You have free will in Christ. If I want to take my water bottle here and chuck it into the congregation this morning, I have the free will to do so, right? I, I won't. Well, maybe. No, no, I won't. I promise. I might not be invited back if I do. But I have the free will to do that. Why do we think that just because God, our Heavenly Father, knows what we're going to do, that that somehow limits our freedom to believe that God created the universe out of nothing, and to believe that God created Adam out of the dust of the ground, to believe that he flooded the whole earth, but at the same time also believe that God does not sovereignly know everything that will happen from beginning to end, is a very silly thing. Is he God, or is he not God? Know the truth. Your heavenly Father knows you. He has chosen you. And he has called you to be a part of his church. And while this letter is written to the early church, it is written to you as well, that you would be encouraged and strengthened in the true faith of Jesus Christ. Yes, knowing the truth strengthens us in our faith. Because truth is what we cling to when the enemy comes before us and throws our sin in our face. You can cling to the truth that in Christ your sins have been forgiven. But not just forgiven. God says in his holy word that he blots out your sins. Right? We don't understand this as humans. Because when we forgive someone, we don't forget. We try to, but we don't. We remember. God says that he blots out your sins from his memory. That when you've repented, he no longer remembers them. Instead of seeing your blemishes when he looks at you, he sees Christ's perfect righteousness. But brothers and sisters, how can you cling to what you do not know? If you do not know the truth, how can you cling to it? The elder reminds us to know the truth, which is found in the word of God. Knowing that God is sovereign and that he has the entirety of time in his hands brings us comfort. And once we know the truth, we are then exhorted to walk in the truth. Verses 4 through 6, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. 
And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. From this letter, we can see that the early church and the church of 2022 has some similarities. Not all in the church are walking in the truth. In John's day, it seems that all who hear the truth do not all walk in the truth. Now, if this wasn't the case, he wouldn't have said some. He would have said all, right? He says some of your children are walking in the truth. Our churches today have this problem as well. I'm sure many of you who've been here for many years have heard truth from this pulpit. There probably have been some who have heard the truth from this pulpit, but do not walk in that truth. Sadly, we know that the road less traveled is the one that leads to Christ. John encourages his readers to walk in this truth because knowing something and putting that thing into practice are two different things. He encourages through calling back to the command from the beginning, which is to love one another. And as John writes this to his church, he echoes his first letter. 1 John 2, verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 1 John 3, 23, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And 1 John four nineteen, We love because he first loved us. Right? These, these statements from John's first letter all sound like what we read in the second letter. These commands and John's discussion show us truth and love. But most importantly, he points backward. Right, I know we're always pointing forward, but in this case, he points backward to the most beautiful picture of grace and love. Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for those that he loved. Those that yelled crucify. Those that jeered at him and yelled at him. Jesus Christ laid down his life for those that God elected and predestined before all time. In the language of Romans 5, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now when we're armed with this truth, when we carry this truth in our hearts, we understand that there is nothing we can do to earn the grace and mercy of the Lord our God. We understand that this means, as Jonathan Edwards puts it, the only thing that we've contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. When we know this, we see that following God's commands is not done because we are forced to, but because we want to. Now, for those of you that are married or those of you who are dating, when you met the person you are with, you moved things out of your schedule to spend time with them. You're more likely to spend your money on things for them or on things to do with them than you are to do it on yourself. When you meet the person you envision spending the rest of your life with, you make time. You sacrifice your own wants. You find joy in doing things for that person. 
You find joy in being with that person. And you even find joy in just thinking about that person. How much more then should we find joy in following the commands of our Lord and Savior? How much more then should we set aside our time, our money, the things we want in order to spend time with the one who holds us in the palm of his hand? The one that laid down his life for us. The one who dwells inside us by way of the Holy Spirit, guiding us in the way that we will go. As one commentator puts it, love comes from the Father, it is manifested by the Son, and it is made available by the life-giving Spirit. Because of the work of our God, we truly know what love is. And John drives this point home by writing what's found in truth in verses 7 and 8. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Just kidding. After reading these verses, something probably jumped out to you, a word that we don't hear very often. You may have alarm bells going off. The word antichrist, right? That's, that's a buzzword. You hear that word and you probably think to one specific book of the Bible. What book of the Bible do you think of? Revelation. Revelation. Right. You know, interestingly enough, Christian sitting is going to strike, right? We, we don't need to be afraid of Revelation. Revelation is a wonderful book. It's a, it's a book of 22 chapters that teach what the entire Bible is trying to get at. God is supreme. He has one, and we will spend all eternity with him. And it's only as adults that we read Revelation and think to ourselves, whoa, this, we can't understand this. If you give Revelation to a child, they understand it perfectly. We don't need to be afraid of Revelation. Though maybe, to your surprise, the Greek word antichristos is actually not found in the book of Revelation. It's only used five times in the Bible. Twice in 1 John 2.18, once in 1 John 2.22, once in 1 John 4.3, and once in 2 John 7. Sorry, that was a bit of a bait and switch. I kind of tricked you there. Basically, the Antichrist is one who was prophesied to come, deceiving and preaching against Christ. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time delving into this theme of the Antichrist, because that's a sermon series in its own. But what we can understand is that John, in this context, is talking about heresy, right? He is seeking to combat heresy. What heresy is he looking to combat? The heresy that Jesus is not the Christ, that Jesus is not the Messiah. John's letters lead us to believe that there were false teachers, teaching that Jesus was not actually the Messiah. Jesus was not actually the Christ, now, some of these deceivers were in the churches that John was writing to. These deceivers then left the church, but then were trying to sow seeds of discord and doubt in the church. Now, like we talked about before, there are some similarities between the church of John's day and the church of our day. Though today the heresy isn't so much that Jesus isn't the Messiah. The heresy today is more along the lines of that you can be loved by the world and be loved by Christ. 
Now, I would hope that most people in most churches would affirm that Jesus is the Messiah, hopefully. The problem comes is how that doctrine affects your daily life. Because in Jesus' day, the world mostly hated him. How could we think that our lives would be anything different? Brothers and sisters, you may be thinking to yourself, the issues that target our church today are not as egregious as denying Jesus as the Christ, like in John's day. Sadly, we are wrong to think so. You see, evil and disbelief, they follow a simple pattern. It begins with something so small, so innocent, something as simple as, did God really say? Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Brothers and sisters, we are battling the enemy. The enemy seeks just to take a tiny little hammer and make tiny little cracks at your foundation on the word. The problem is, is that when the foundation begins to crack, these small, tiny hits give way to real damage. When a small, tiny crack forms in your foundation, what happens to your house? It sinks. Water gets in. The culture begs to break your foundation. You cannot be loved by the world and be loved by Jesus. Walk in this truth that your Savior loves you more than this world ever could. Love from your Savior means eternal life alongside Him. Love from the world means eternal death apart from your Savior. The biggest battle we are facing right now is a world that tells you truth is whatever you want it to be. You've probably heard people saying silly things like, live your truth. Truth is not yours. Truth is found in the Word of God. There is one standard of truth, and it's found in God's Word. Now, I can bring up many things that the culture seeks to deceive us on. I'll only deal with one. I caution you, it's offensive. Walking in truth means knowing that God has decreed from the beginning that man and woman are distinctly different that they complement each other, and a bond shall be forged between a man and a woman and no other, and anything else would be an abomination. Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same in both. But Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. He didn't need to. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law and win poor, miserable sinners like us to eternal life despite our sin. Do not try to understand a holy God through the eyes of the culture. Seek to understand the culture through the eyes of a holy God. Do not look at this world longingly. I love the words of our brother C.S. Lewis. Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave it with regret? There are better things ahead than any we leave behind. We journey each day towards our Father's kingdom. Each day we get closer to the kingdom of God. We must walk in truth or we will falter. If we do not walk in truth, we will lose our way and we will be waylaid by the world. The truth John is reinforcing is that Jesus is indeed the Christ. Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And he will come again. Do not be deceived. Matthew twenty four forty three. 
But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Now this is not to say watch out because Jesus is going to break into your house. But that it does mean that we should be watchful and vigilant for Jesus' return. Thus we must not just know the truth and walk in the truth, but we must abide in the truth. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So what does it mean to abide? What does it mean to abide? It means to accept or act in accordance with a rule decision, or recommendation. When John writes this, war- this warning to not run ahead, he means precisely that. Now, when you're walking on a path through the woods with friends, right, you can run ahead away from the group a little bit, and you could have a chance at getting lost, or you could find your way back, right? Go a little bit from the group and come back, and you're fine. Go a little farther from the group and come back, and you're fine. Go too far, get lost, And now you can't find your way back. In John's day, the Gnostic heretics believed they had superior knowledge. They had run ahead of the church. That this secret knowledge would set them free. John warns the church, do not go ahead. There is no other knowledge other than the word of God. He warns the church that they must abide close to the truth. Take John at his word. Those who abide in truth will have the Father and the Son. Those who do not seek what the world has to offer, but seeks to deny themselves and take up their cross, will be near to Christ. Now, it's probably verses 10 and 11 that maybe give you pause. They sound pretty harsh. Let's break it down. The house being discussed here is not the house you live in, but the house that the church met in. Granted, you should be careful about who you let into your home. But that's not what John's talking about. What John is getting at is he wants his audience to be vigilant as to who they let into the church. Now, John's not talking about denying hospitality to people. He's not talking about closing the doors so people can't get in who aren't already part of this body. Well, then what is John saying? John is saying, do not let false teachings into the church. John says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that is a false teaching that is not in accord with Christ's Messiahship, then do not let them in. More specifically, do not let that false teaching in. Why? Because false teaching seeks to divide. False teaching hammers at the foundation of truth on God's Word, seeking to break it. Now, The culture is an easy punching bag sometimes, but I'm going to continue to hit it. If you take a look at what's going on out there, you will see that what you believe affects how you act. And if you follow this logic far enough, you will see how the culture pulls on the people who have been elected to make decisions for the people. Now, this is not to put one political person over another or elevate one group of people or another. This is to say that when your motivation is not based on the absolute truth found in the Word of God, 
you can justify almost any action as good. When we allow false teaching into our churches, when we allow teachings that are not in line with the scriptures that we have, it won't be long before we get rid of the Bibles from the pews because they won't be relevant anymore. Brothers and sisters, abide in the truth of God's word. When someone comes to you with a teaching that is not in line with God's holy word, do not allow it to take root in your mind. There has been so much work. There has been so much blood spilt just so that you would have God's word in your language. And yet we still don't have time to read it. Here are some questions that we need to ask ourselves. Do I know the truth of God's word? The only way to know the truth of God's word is to read God's word. Would I know false teaching when I hear it? The only way to know what is false teaching would be to know what God's word teaches, thus requiring you to read God's word. If the man standing behind this pulpit sounds great but does not preach Christ, would you know it? Do I value being loved by Jesus more than being loved by the world? The only way to be loved by Jesus is to live for him and keep his commandments, which are found in God's word. Do I value setting aside my precious time in the morning of the Lord's day to worship God alongside my brothers and sisters? The only way to value setting aside time in the morning, worship, in the morning for worship is to understand why beginning and ending your day with worship is important, which is found in God's word. John's letter is very clear. John's letter is very concise. In fact, today we read and studied an entire book of the Bible. As we go from this place this morning, we need to remember that truth is worth fighting for. Truth is worth dying for. If it wasn't, then Christ wouldn't need it to die. We must guard the truth of God's word closely. Now, this is not to say there aren't things in the Bible we will disagree on. There are some things in the Bible that you and I can interpret differently. There are simple things in the Bible we cannot disagree on. You cannot disagree on whether or not it's okay to take the Lord's name in vain. Now, we can debate and discuss what that actually looks like and come to different realizations. But you cannot say something is right which God has decreed as wrong. As we progress in time, as the culture continues to degrade, we must stand firm. We must be vigilant. We must know the truth. We must walk in truth. And we must abide in truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. And one day he will return, bringing the kingdom that will have no end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is unchangeable foundational truth found in your holy and inerrant word. Father, truth offends us. We don't like truth because it calls us out for what we were. For we were sinners with no hope. But in your infinite mercy and grace, you have plucked us from the muck and the mire. 
you have cleansed us and you've clothed us in white robes of righteousness, all because of your son's death and resurrection. As your son was raised to life that day, changing the world forever, we glory in all that you've done. We find joy and peace in your truth. Lord, we long to be with you in your kingdom. We long to be away from the horrors of this life and these frail bodies. For we know who we believe in. And we know that we can trust you. And we know that one day we will be in glory. Until you call us home, Father, or until your Son returns, strengthen us to go forward into this world, this unbelieving world that is in need of hope. There are many hearts that are frozen. Let us spread the warmth of your gospel, O Lord, that all would come to believe that Jesus is Lord. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.